Welcome to Shine Me A Light Podcasts. In this series, The Last 27 Years, in each episode we're going through the last 27 years in the life of one class of 95 Sydney Girls High School student, and this episode is Shelley Granger. This has been really fun. Like so far, it's been really fun. Some of them I've been like, you know, going face to face and doing them. And then since doing them on Riverside, it's been just as much sort of fun. And I think like to me, I said to someone the other day, in 27 more years, we'll be in our 70s. That's very scary. So it's like, you know, like, so it's been such a long period of time. I know. I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago since we were at school, but not that long. I like, know. 27 like, years. Some memories I can remember like yesterday yeah. and then other things feel like they were so long ago. What are some of the memories that you have of those years, 90 to 95? Oh, well, that's, that's interesting for me. Oh, there was, I definitely remember the intense pressure like of, of school because my, uh, my dad in particular had high expectations and he was constantly like, what are you doing? How are you doing? Where are you ranking? What, what mark are you getting? Like oh, wow. he was the sort of person who told me what I was going to be when I grew up when I was seven. <gasps> like I found, I found this diary in year 12 from uh, year three where I announced to my friends that I was going to be a chartered accountant when I grew up. And so I obviously cute. had no idea what that meant. That yeah. <laughs> but that was like, that was the plan that was set for me. And I guess for me all the way through high school, the pressure was, you know, what are you going to do to achieve that? Like today, tomorrow, the next day in year 10, I was out doing work experience with Ernst and Young, getting ready to prepare for my, oh like, my God. cadetship, which I did. Um, and are you a chartered accountant today? No, definitely <laughs> not. It was absolutely not the right choice for me. And it took me a <laughs> while so to get my head around that because it had been like the plan for so long and to let yeah. go of that and actually step back and think about what I wanted to do with my life. Do you remember and, anything uh, from year seven? Uh, not really. Is school camp. Cute? School. Do you remember school camp? Okay, what do you remember of school camp? The food, I remember the, uh, the talent quest that we had. Yes. Do you remember that? On the, I don't oh, know. Which, yes. I don't know how many nights I sang we were there with for. a broken arm. Oh well, that was very impressive. I sang with someone else, <laughs> and but I remember Grace Kim and her like yes. phenomenal piano playing. Blown away. Yep. I know. I'm Just, thinking, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. And I played piano at the time, and I remember going, I don't think I actually do play piano. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me, me too. <laughs> it was amazing, isn't it? All right. Um. So when you did you do HSC in '95? Yes, I did. All right. So when you left school at the end of 95, where did you go in 96? So I went to uni, but only part-time because I did take up that cadetship with um, yep. Price Waterhouse oh, that, wow. that I'd worked towards. And that was like, I mean, it was a really good experience because I went from being in high school to suddenly being thrown into this business world full of, you know, grown-ups in suits and, you know, like real work and Friday night free drinks that was yeah, that was very exciting too, and yeah it was weird yeah. really weird but very exciting and a, a bit overwhelming because my first project sorry when I joined there though I was put on a rotation program where you work in like different parts of the the company and my first posting was in liquidation and they decided it would be a good like experience for me to be involved in the liquidation of a wheel rim manufacturer out west that was being wound up by pro PWC after being in the family for three generations. Oh, how tragic. And they got so busy with other things that they decided to send out me 
Shelley Coleman at the time at age 18 and very green out to the wheel ring rim manufacturer to like pay the wages every week, take the car keys off the owners, like basically help with that wind up process and Intense. handing the assets back. And so, yeah, that was, that was definitely an induction by fire. You um, know, the deep end, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But there was, you know, lots of other good aspects about it. And, um, you know, it was really social. I was amazed by all the, the very cool growing up men who I met there. Um, and yep. just working with lots of different companies and seeing how they work, it was really interesting. I knew pretty quickly that accounting was dry, boring and too structured for me, but just, just learning about business and like earning money and like dressing up in suits, you know, meeting people was really exciting. Sometimes I think I should have just done accounting. Yeah, absolutely. I was lucky because I don't know about you, I was still at home so I could kind of make that work, but I had friends there who had like left their homes like yeah. come from the country or wherever to paying be in the city rent. yeah paying real rent going to uni like trying to live the uni life and on and buy suits and stuff on like sixteen thousand dollars a year it was pretty impossible i was in the same suit very often you know <laughs> i changed the top we're <laughs> the same absolutely way, you know? well i remember getting a shock because we were on one particular case and was obviously a client that had lots of money and were willing to spend whatever it took. And I remember being told by the manager, like, you just charge, like, whatever you want to this case. Like, even yeah. if you think about this client in your sleep, you put that time down on your timesheet. Like, we can charge whatever we want. And that was yeah. quite a shock to me, and like, like it was to you, and felt, you know, very uncomfortable. But it was hard to know what to do when I was so, you know, young and and new. Young, that's right. And your own, and you're still working out your own ethics. And and people who are much more experienced are telling you this is how it works. This is what you do. And yeah, that balance is scary when you're young. And we thought, I don't know about you, but I thought I was so mature, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Going from like school to this, you're like, like, wow, I've really grown up. I'm such an adult. I have a 19 year old son now, and I look at him and go, you know, you're such a boy. You know, but at 19, I felt so, I don't know, just like I knew it all. But anyway, okay, so how long did it last at Waterhouse? Well, the, so the cadetship was structured into two years of full-time work and nighttime uni. And then I had the chance to go back and finish my degree full-time. Yep. um, And just work with, I was doing commerce. That's okay. what, like, that's what you have to do to do a cadetship. Yep. And um, in those second two years, I ended up like setting up my own accounting business um, with their small clients because they they used to have lots of small businesses and then realised that they weren't the target yeah. audience anymore. I guess they didn't have enough to pay, and so they started yeah. looking for some of the trainees to look after their books, and that worked really well for cool. me because I, you know, I had my own little car and computer, and I just turn up to these clients and do their books and and you know I was being paid I think between 35 and 50 an hour at the time which was you know much more than PwC were paying me so that was you know exciting and I kind of I mean commerce was pretty boring pretty dry and like it was a, a course I felt that you could get away with doing the bare minimum to get like through and get good marks. It wasn't yep. you know intellectually intense like engineering or yeah. something else so I ended up basically working full-time and then just fitting in the full-time uni around that. So and I suppose it would have taught you a lot about the finances of running a small business. Yeah, it did. I'm making that assumption, but yeah. Yeah, and that experience was really good because I was working side by side with small business owners like yep. rather than, and, you know, they trusted me and I was working within their business, whereas at yep. PwC you're very much like, you know, you're the service provider and they're the we're client. Separate. 
yeah. especially when you're the auditor, there's a, you know a certain amount of distrust and and distance, and so yeah. you never really feel a part of the team. Yeah. So so when I had my little business, that was really good, and it definitely ignited a passion in me to have my own business one day. Yep. And work with other small businesses, which I ended up doing a long time down the track. I'm very excited to hear about your small businesses later on. Uh, okay, so where so this is taking you, I'm assuming, around to 2000-ish? Yeah, I think it took four, four and a half years. So I graduated in mid-2000. Yep. Yeah, ish, 2000. Yep, yep. <laughs> I think after the, the – I had graduated and then we had the Olympics. Two, yes, which was, the 2000 Which was very Olympics. fun. Which everyone can remember where they were for the yes. opening ceremony and that little girl, what was her name? I can't oh, remember. Oh, Nikki Webster. Nikki Webster, yes. I can still see her. Okay. Very brave. All right. So what happened after 2000? Uh, well, I ended up joining a management consulting firm called Boston yep. Consulting Group. So I knew my passions weren't in accounting or auditing, but I was still really interested in business and wanted to learn more about how people think about the strategy of business. So towards the end of uni, I learned about these management consulting firms and got really interested in what they were up to and applied to BCG and joined um, just after the Olympics, actually, and worked there for the next four years. So that that was more about working with big companies on their, you know, their future business strategy. So, for example, we were working with Qantas and they were thinking about launching another international airline. It was Australian Airlines at the time. It was based out of Cairns and servicing Asia. Um, So, I guess, enable all that interest that, you know, Asian people had in visiting Cairns and North Queensland. It's it's just a funny coincidence because I live here now and very passionate about tourism up here. But, you know, those are the sort of things that we worked on, like thinking about which direction the business should go in, like, you know, thinking about major change initiatives. Yeah, I found that really, yeah, it's interesting, right? Like a creative part of of a business degree. It was good to understand because it meant that, like, I guess when I was looking at the financials of a company, that, like, that experience gave me the ability to understand it. And, yeah, and whether a strategy is possible relies on the... The yeah, finances and all the yeah, exactly. Yeah, Doing the economic model to you know verify and validate what you're thinking. Yeah, um, but it was much more interesting. Definitely very intense, though. I don't know if you've come across other people who've worked in that industry, but you you definitely uh, they definitely get their money's worth. <laughs> well, there, you, there's a lot of responsibility, isn't there? Yeah, isn't absolutely. There? And the company is paying big dollars. Um, to companies like BCG to help with those kind of decisions. So, Especially with like a blue ocean strategy, you know, where you're yep. really trying to sell it to them, This, you know, and they're trusting in you. And yeah, something completely doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that, that's not good. <laughs> so <laughs> as a result, they, they pay big fees. They're very big decisions. They want to make them quickly. There's obviously yep. a lot of pressure on the team. So you went, I remember yeah. on one case uh, down in Melbourne, I think the earliest we left the office in six months was at about, I don't know, midnight. Uh, so, yeah, it was an intense time, but I just learned so much. And, you know, you work with so many different companies, so many different people. Um, and pressure sounds like it had was normal for you. I think so. Like, so probably that pressure at home prepared me well. Yeah. I was also not very organised in terms of study, um, even at school. Like, I would do everything at the last minute. All my assignments were done the night before, like, in the middle of the night. Prep, like, oh. I'd always cram for exams. And yep. although at the time that was probably pretty stressful, it prepared me for that because it didn't affect me as much as it did others, like being yeah. under so much pressure and doing such long hours. Yeah. 
So, you know, that's at least what I tell my family. That's some good <laughs> that came out of it. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mum too, because my mum's the complete opposite and she spent the entire high school trying to convince me to, like, adopt her ways of, like, starting everything the moment you get it and, like, slowly and methodically working through it. And I just I just couldn't. I thrive on the pressure. I don't you know, know anyone. Gets it happening. <laughs> like, it's so right in theory, but I, yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever been able to convince anyone to actually do it. <laughs> like, you know the, what I mean? The, the, the slow methodical. Yeah, when you first as you get it, you know, make your little scaffold you know, and then make your plan for what you're going to do and do a little bit as you go so that there's no big pressure at the end. Like, it's so, it makes so much logical sense. <laughs> but, I mean, I've worked as a tutor. I'm a mother. I mean, I don't think I've ever been able to actually get anyone to implement it, you know. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, Absolutely. It just doesn't happen in practice very often. People who do do it, hats off because they're... Yeah. Absolutely. It. Yeah, that, that definitely wasn't me. And so I guess this environment was suited to me for the, for the time. It, yeah, so it was four, four years um, that I worked there for. That's intense. And had you met your partner at that time? Was there any other stuff oh, going on in other parts I, of your life? Uh, actually, yeah, it was a big point of change in my life. Um, so when I was at PWC, I did meet a guy who, we, who I was really serious with. We were together for about five years and he was probably similar to me. We were both really ambitious about, you know, our careers and really focused. He joined Goldman Sachs, I joined BCG. So we just lived this really intense work focus, but, you know, high social, highly social lifestyle together. Yep. It didn't leave very much time for our relationship. And I, I think he was okay with that. He was someone who didn't need emotional connection. Yeah. I really did, and I ended up feeling very kind of lonely yeah. in that in that relationship. Even though I really cared for him and loved yeah. him, I was just I was just lonely, yeah. and I my soul was definitely craving more. And um, a couple of years into my time at BCG, um, they were looking for volunteers to go up to Cairns um, to work with um, the local Indigenous leaders there, Noel Pearson and Gerhard Pearson, who at the time were kind of leading the charge on. Um, empowering Indigenous people to, uh, you know, develop, you know, um, real economic and sustainable growth in their in their areas of passion. Yeah. And BCG had gotten right behind that, and they were sending people up for three months at a time to work on various business projects. And I, I mean, I was always interested in understanding in Indigenous Australia, but it wasn't a particular passion. But when this came up, something inside me just said, "You have to go." You, yeah. you need to be there. You, you have to go. And I put my hand up and at the time I was supposed to go on a different case and they're like, no, 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 you're assigned to this. You can go some other time. And I was like, no, I have to do this. And I fought really hard and I didn't actually know why. It was just something yeah. inside me that was driving me. Yeah. And um, eventually they, they uh, gave in and let me go. And on the first day that I arrived, I met my husband, who's wow. the man who's now my husband. And um, it was a very... Yes, surreal. Wow! Experience. Yeah, yeah I, I got to the airport and um, no one was there to meet me, and they hadn't provided any details. And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> what do I do?" <laughs> and I actually, I, I knew of a lady from our Melbourne office who'd been there previously. I'd never met her, but I just thought I'll give her a call and find out what to do, where to go. And she's like, oh, "I know this. I know this guy. This really great guy. He's called Daniel Granger, and I'm going to give him a call and let him know that you're there, and you know he'll." He'll sort everything out. And um, that man is now my husband. Wow. 
Um, I didn't actually meet him in that moment because the person who was supposed to pick me up came along and and, and took me to the office. But later that afternoon, I was being introduced to all the different people who work there. And I walked into the room where he was. Uh, He was was managing a project for this organisation. And as soon as I saw him, I felt like I'd found, you know, Yes, I found him. You know that I was just like, oh, you're here. It's you. Oh my gosh, here you are. Amazing feeling that one, isn't it? Yeah, it's unexplainable, and it feels like it's there's no coincidences in those moments. Everything's happening for a reason. You have, I I feel like I have total faith in the universe in those moments. I'm like everything that got me here. I'm not, you know, I love those. It felt exactly like that. In fact, a couple of weeks before I left, I went to like out with my sister for a picnic, and she's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how to explain this feeling, but I just feel like everything. Um, is about to change for you and I'm like what do you mean and she's like I don't know like let's just see what happens and that that was that moment like has your sister got good intuition on yes yeah yeah Yeah, she's very intuitive and um and yeah and I'd felt that drive to go up there and in that moment I'm like I've found you and luckily he felt the same way yes and um Yeah, we, 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 we spoke and then he, he called me up not long after. He's like, would you like to come to dinner? And I was like, I want to, I want to, I want to. But I committed to someone else and I told him where I was going and um, yeah. he was supposed to be going out with his team for dinner and he redirected them to where we were and oh. we sat down together at dinner and, like, the rest is kind of history for us. Dream. Like, yeah. when, we, when we started talking, it was just like we'd always known each other and in, in my life, you know, having been exposed to, a, I guess, a certain type of person in in the corporate world, he was like an absolute breath of fresh air, like completely authentic, completely genuine, himself, like just, yeah. Lovely. And what a beautiful just, story for your children. I just have to comment that. That's such a beautiful, you know, if that was your parents' story. Yeah. Yeah. Our son, uh, he, PJ loves yeah. it. He, he, he yeah. tells people about it. And yeah. he he uh, he was only born six years ago, and we went through quite a journey to have him. But he loves to think of the fact that he was there for this whole ride, being an egg in my belly. <laughs> like if you you know, and he tells everyone that he was there yeah. at that moment, and he was there at our wedding, and you know, on our journey. Even though he's very funny, isn't it? They're very cute. So this six-year-old. So that's you had children in two thousand sixteen. Your, yeah. child, your your son in 2016 so that's quite a period of time so did what can I ask what your struggles were no worries I'm totally comfortable with it um so I um I have polycystic ovary syndrome oh, painful I mean lots of people lots of people do yeah. and so it, it was something that like, plagued me right through high school because you know back in those days no one knew what it was and no one knew how to treat it and yeah. um I, I went to tons of specialists during high school trying to get help because I went through periods of having absolutely nothing going on and then being flooded with menstruation for like weeks on end. Oh. I actually remember my first like work experience placement, you know, that, that I was referring to before was it was at Ernst and Young and I was sixteen and I was so nervous but so excited to be there and it was during those like that heavy phase like where I just bled like crazy for the entire week and it was just so awkward you know trying to come to terms with that and trying to manage that being at clients for the first time and trying to like impress them so that they would consider me for a cadetship but you know that's just yeah yeah that's just so emotionally overwhelming for a 16 year old oh it was yeah well it wasn't easy and they like experimented with all these different pills on me and like yeah I remember just like feeling like you know completely different people and like 
totally emotionally overwhelmed and wrecked and not knowing what was happening and they just didn't know what to do with it at the time. Horrible. Absolutely. So when did you eventually get a diagnosis? Um, I did in my teens, but they basically just said, this is what you have, you have to live with it. Like there was no way to manage it at the time or or no cure. And so after seeing a bunch of other specialists and seeing if there were other ways to deal with it during uni, I just just accepted it, um, thought it was, and just kind of lived with it. It wasn't as crazy as it was in high school, like going forward, like with these like hugely heavy, crampy, like clotty cycles um yeah. but it but it definitely like i'd go through such like periods of you know really high energy and like feeling really you know strong and on top of it so like completely crashing and you know trying to kind of keep it all together and work in a male-dominated corporate world and pretend oh. that everything was okay wasn't yes wasn't easy. menstrual issues are not going to be accepted well as yeah. the reason but, no know. absolutely <laughs> um so yeah and no, i just kind of muddled through it yeah. Um, as best I could because the other part of it that is also uncomfortable is you know the you um unwanted hair growth that you get in places that you really don't want and you know abdominal weight gain gain and those were things that affected me and yeah. obviously as a young yeah, teenager really. it was yeah. really awkward and embarrassing and yeah. I remember the intensity of that young you just want to be perfect you just want to be normal and you just yeah anything no. different from normal is really yeah. you know really tough so I mean there were there are much worse worse issues out there so I'm not like feeling yeah. sorry for myself but when but you're going through it you, it just yeah. it is hard yeah uh, especially when you know you get interested in boys and you're trying to make relationships and you just get so, so self-conscious about your body yeah. and exposing yeah. it so you know that was a that was a thing but thank gosh for like laser therapy and oh yeah <laughs> all of that um but you know then I kind of worked through it until it came time for Dan and I so my husband Dan um yep. thinking about children we like went back to revisit the whole fertility issue um after we met um he ended up leaving Cairns and coming with me to Sydney I hadn't been at BCG for that long and I was still like really in the midst of my career and he'd been managing this project um where he was rolling out a digital network throughout the Cape oh wow He's uh, an Indigenous man from Cape York and also yep. from the Torres Strait. And, um, you know, he rec- as an engineer, he recognised the opportunity to provide access to, like, internet services in the Cape as an yeah. awesome way to access education, access entertainment, like improve connectivity. Um, the Cape is flooded for at least four or five months of the year and people are completely cut off. Um, from family and like that, that, that luck, that loss of connectivity is one of the big reasons for a lot of um, deaths in custody in that part of the world. And by bringing in um, this digital network and having a little internet cafe in each community that helped families keep connected um, with families in other communities or, you know, incarcerated in camps, wherever. So it was a, you know, a really big project and I, and I helped um, with the business case for that. That's what we worked on. Um, But at the, when we met, he he was sort of nearing the end of his time, and he came with me to Sydney, which was a massive change for him <laughs> and for shock. me. Yeah. And then and then we moved to Melbourne, um, where he did an MBA, and then uh, Brisbane. You know, so we moved all over the place, and because we were kind of trying to figure out where we belong together, yeah. You know him 
Um, he was born on Thursday Island. He grew up in the Atherton Tablelands outside Cairns. He spent some time in the city because he did his degree in Brisbane, but he was definitely a country person and yep. I grew up very much a city person. Yep. So just figuring out where we belong together took quite a while and just sort of living in each other's worlds and yeah. um, and um, for, for Dan figuring out what he was going to do post this work he was doing in the Cape and, and for me finding where I fit as well because as much as I loved BTG and the experience, I got to the point where it was actually, well, A, it wasn't a sustainable lifestyle in the long term to be working like 16, 17 hours a day and didn't lend itself 100%. to a, like, a good relationship. But, but B, um, they're really involved in strategy development but not in the actual implementation and you'd be part of this team that coming up with something that you're really passionate about and then you handed, off, handed it off to someone else and never saw it again. And they like never didn't know what happened the way you had, yeah. Yeah, and then they're going to implement it the same way. You don't get to help or see it through and that got frustrating for me. Yeah. And so I ended up leaving and um, took up a couple of roles, including going back to Cairns again um, to, to run that um, Aboriginal organisation where I could actually develop and implement strategies. So I could All see the through. change yeah. through. Yeah. And we did that together. And what a beautiful process to go through together and to be sure of each other and just having to work out the details. So where are we going to live together that's going to work for us and what's yeah. going to be the jobs and I like the I like the process. In, yeah, it was in hindsight hearing about it. I'm sure at the time. <laughs> probably well, was yeah, we were just kind of like, oh, we need to find like we know we want to be together. Um, yeah. We know we're really different, and we know we come from different places, and we've just got to keep trying until yeah. we find what fits. And and um, we've now been in Townsville of all Townsville places. Neither of us <laughs> ever ever expected to be here, to be honest. <laughs> either of us, but this is where we are, and this is where we've been for ten years now, and it's. You know, it feels really good to, to us. It feels right, at least and for now. you had a business together, is this correct? Yes. Okay. Dan, um, so he ended up, well, he taught maths and science first, but he ended up doing his PhD in, in economics and works at the uni, but he was still very much involved in this business. Yep. Um, it's called Nourishing Bites, um, and we create... Um, treats uh, that are you know really tasty that's that's one yep. number one non-negotiable but also really good for your body as well yeah so they're gluten-free dairy-free refined sugar-free and and made from the highest quality ingredients that we can find and the reason why we started this was actually that journey that we went through to have our son yes so I mentioned before that the fertility came back on the radar when we were sort of had got further down the track Yep. And I was told at the time in my late 20s um, not to, um, that I basically had zero hope of conceiving naturally, that I needed to jump on hormone therapy straight away and, and probably enroll in IVS straight away. And although we weren't adverse to that, we didn't want that to be the starting point. The only solution, yeah. That's just to start there. And, you know, the specialist was just like, just forget it, Shelley. You know, you haven't had a regular period all this time. Like, just forget it. Just get onto this track. And we were both like, no, this doesn't, mm. this doesn't feel right. And that's yeah. when we started to really look at our bodies and our lifestyle and, and look at the connection between PCOS and what I was eating. The nutrition, And yeah. how we were living. And, you know, if that occurred over many years, um, yeah. but I slowly, you know, understood the connection with refined sugar 
um, yep. PCOS being an insulin resistant condition. Yep. Um, so I dropped the refined sugar and that definitely helped my moods and general levels of energy, but it didn't give me a regular cycle. So yep. I haven't, so at this point at 30, I'd never had a regular cycle in my life. Like it wow. was always haphazard. So that was what I wanted to get sorted. And then I started to understand the connection with between PCOS and inflammation. So that's yes. when I dropped the gluten and the dairy and the grains for a period of time. Inflammation and is connected to so much. It is, isn't it? Your body's in a state of constant inflammation. There's multiple. I've, I've had to do this, go on this journey myself too, to solve health problems with nutrition, you know, and just getting your body out of that state of inflammation and knowing what's causing it. And, and our standard diet, everyone is walking around in this this inflammatory straight, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because lots of people say to me, oh, I don't know why I'd ever cut out gluten. Like my gut's fine, but then they're like complaining of, you know, acne or eczema or this or that. I'm like, you know, yep. inflammation can show up in a lot of ways, physically, yeah. in your mental state, like in all yep. different ways. And I found that when I cut cut them out, for me, that my, you know, my my body changed completely and I went from being someone who'd never had a regular cycle to being like clockwork for the first time in my entire wow. life. It was it was a miracle for me, you know, because this is, you know, a 20-year journey. The answers are never what you expect, are they? Townsville no. and gluten. Yeah, and yeah exactly. <laughs> Why didn't someone tell me earlier? Um, so, and, and it was a change in lifestyle too because, um, yeah. you know, I'd always had pretty stressful jobs with long hours and, you know, they were being, they were the complete focus. And it was, there was always a lot of pressure and it turns out, you know, it wasn't that great for me either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we we um, we were so fortunate to then conceive our, our little boy uh, naturally within Aww. three months. Um, yeah, on my husband's 42, 42nd birthday, we found out he's, he's five years older than me and it was just the hugest blessing. Such and, uh, yeah, and... Um, <laughs> He's been with us for six years now. Not in his mind. He's been me. with you forever in his yeah, mind. <laughs> that's right. Well, it feels mm. like, as you would I agree, it feels like yeah. he's been with us forever now. Yeah. You and he, he's, he's our little miracle and the reason why we started the business that we started because I've always been a chocoholic and the idea when I made all these changes of giving up chocolate was, you know, it was just, traumatic even considering it so yeah. I decided because this was in you know 08 oh 08 09 when I started with cutting out sugar so that meant no normal chocolate normal chocolate that you um, buy, yeah and there weren't many options around then like today we're blessed with yes. so many options to choose from in, things you know, have changed a lot haven't they even in the last ab- five years there's just a absolutely lot yeah and which is great for other people like you know, um, looking at diet for their various issues. And um, so I was like, right, well, I'm just going to have to create them for myself. And so I set about experimenting. I was um, working for Woolies at the time. Um, I set up their strategy function and um, I was rushing home. I found myself rushing home from my full-time paid job (laughs) to create these treats at night. Try a new recipe. Yeah, try new things, take them into the office, get everyone's feedback. And I'm like, you know, this this has got to be telling me something because this is what I'm rushing home for and this is what I'm thinking about all the time. This is what I'm doing yeah. on the weekend. And um, so I kept, you know, I kept doing it and it wasn't long after that that we made the move to come up to Townsville and I left Woolies and, um, you know, it was a big shock 
at the time. There was nothing here at all in the in the healthy area, and also there wasn't the kind of job that I used to do. So it was yeah. an opportunity to completely rethink everything. And I knew that I was really passionate about this way of eating and helping others who yeah. needed, who were looking to change their diet. I knew that I'd always wanted to have my own small business, you know, from those early days and yeah. from being a kid and like loving the cake stalls and all the things that I used to have. And I was yeah. just like, right, if there's any time to do it, it's, it's going to be now. Like, you know, clean slate, time to, time to start again. <laughs> Yeah, and you know when I rang, when I rang my parents, I'm like, well, I'm going to start a treats business. They're like, oh, what? <laughs> like, yep, I've quit. <laughs> I've quit. Yep, Charlie the and- out. Treats business is in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And they're like, radio, okay. Um, you know, I'd always been pretty like I was so busy at like at school and stuff um, that I'd never done any baking or some food making at home. So like when I told them I was going to have to start a food business, everyone's like. Do you know how to turn on the oven? I'm like, I figured it out <laughs> and I'll work um, this out. And so, yeah, we, we started it as a market stall in Townsville. We yep. were new here. Um, wow. There was nothing around. We didn't know how much inter- interest there would be. Um, but we were really fortunate that, you know, Townsville is such a community-oriented place. You know, it's, it only has 300,000 people. It's a small place. And so yeah. all the businesses know each other and everyone really bands together especially because we're so removed from the rest of the kind of business community of Australia yeah. and everyone's kind of fighting all the same issues to, to get growth that they really support each other and everyone came out and, you know, drove to help us. And um, within a few weeks, um, one of the big food markets here uh, invited us to stock our treats at oh. their, in their shop. And that was such a, you know, a blessing for us. We were so grateful for that start. And then, the, you know, the word of mouth spread and we ended up stocking our treats in about 40 different places throughout North wow. Queensland. Wow. And developing our range and, you know, building our own commercial kitchen and getting, you know, you know doing all the things. Do you send orders long distance? Uh, until, until February <laughs> this year, we did. We sent them all over Australia. And you've stopped? We Damn have it. stopped. We uh, we've had we had we started our business in 2013 and operated at um, full steam, working 24/7 for about eight years, yep. and absolutely loved it. Went through so many um, different stages of you know running a cafe alongside the business, stopping all over the country, supplying all over the country, um, running our own workshops online and in person, like just doing a lot of things whilst raising this little person unfortunately like for so many other small businesses COVID was pretty rough all of our hospitality customers particularly up here in North Queensland were virtually well a lot of them closed many of them were just alive and ordering the bare minimum and that meant for us really cutting back we had a team of seven or eight people in the in the business and we had to cut right back and eventually to to myself last year with my mum's assistance and wow. um, just to, to make it through, to get through the COVID pressure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did after two, the first two years, I did it for another year, but then just realised that it was just getting harder and harder and harder and no one yeah. could see when the end was going to be. And I was looking at my five, then five-year-old and thinking, I am not getting enough quality time with you and you yes. are the reason why we do this. 
Yes, isn't that such a difficult thing? I've got my trying to balance work and and kids just basically being the concept. I've got my five-year-old sleeping in my bed at the moment because that last half an hour of the day and the first half an hour of the morning I can just spend with her because there's just so much other stuff happening all the time and I constantly got that feeling that I just I don't get enough quality time and it's so hard. I think everyone who has kids and works experiences that. Absolutely. It's, oh, it's, 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 it's so hard. Well, in the end, we just decided because we couldn't see when it was going to end, when things were going to get easier. So hospitality yeah. serving businesses that we decided to close the treats part of our business yes. and just maintain the production of our chocolate hazelnut spread. Yeah. So, so you've got your own chocolate hazelnut spread. Yes. What's the name? Because I'm buying it's, Panna currently and oh. I have to like sparingly eat it because it's got sugar in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Panna's done great with their product in that it's, you know, it's vegan and gluten-free and dairy, obviously dairy-free and pretty natural, but it is 56% sugar. Yes, it's like Nutella in that respect. So I'm like, you know, I, I like to look at it. Like, and I yeah. this, this is this embarrassing. I'm good. I buy things to look at them. I'm impressed that you can just look at them. I can't. I've still got mint panna. It's gone. They don't even make it oh, anymore. Well, you, it. you've exercised a lot more control than me. That's probably also why I had to co- close the treats business because I probably ate half the treats. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. What's your one called? As, it's, it's called Heavenly Hazel. And is it, where's it stocked? Well, we did have it stocked all over. We've just pressed pause on it while we trend, like moved the production up to yep. a facility in Cairns and then I'll set about like finding a distributor and, some, and stock us again. At the moment, you can buy it through our website. Um, I'll start requesting it from everywhere that I buy my stuff. Oh, <laughs> nourishingbites.com.au. But it's, I like Panna. We've, you know, we love the taste of chocolate hazelnut. Like I grew up yes. loving Ferrero shares. Like in my Christmas stocking, that would be the thing that I got a box of those and they'd be gone, like 16 of them by 9 o'clock. I just, <sighs> that flavour combination to me is just irresistible. It was the chocolate of the 80s really, wasn't it? The it was. <laughs> it was. And I stopped it a long time ago. And when mm. I was, I, when we were creating different treats for Nourishing Bites, a lot of the inspiration came from childhood favourites that yeah. I wanted to recreate. Yeah. in a much more wholesome version, like as a yeah. much more wholesome version. And that's why I, I created a Ferrero to begin with that had a, and a chocolate hazelnut truffle that had this centre in it, um, fudgy centre. And then one day a customer mm-hmm. said to me, oh, gosh, I love what's in that, in the middle of that so much. I could eat it all day. And I was like, well, you, you could. I could put that in a jar and sell it just Bingo. as it is. And that was, that was a, a, a breakthrough for us because until then all of our treats needed to be refrigerated and they're all handcrafted. So yeah. sending so sending small orders to individuals was easy yeah, with Star Trek and packaging and padding, but sending big lots to wholesale customers yeah. long distances was really hard because um, refrigerated freight is very expensive and also things get thrown around a lot. Yeah. And so the product didn't always survive, whereas this hazelnut spread, it doesn't need to be refrigerated in transport. It's in a jar. So as long as you bubble wrap it, it's oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we started that a number of years ago and then um, we've had a grant um, from the, the government, a Deadly Deals grant. We're actually also, um, it's our shared business. We identify as an Indigenous business because yep. a part of our vision is also to not only support women and guys generally in the um in australia who are looking to you know make better life choices but 
as you would be aware, um, yeah. diabetes and diabetes-related illnesses is a, an epidemic generally. Disproportionate health outcomes in yeah, Indigenous Australians, yeah. Absolutely, and by um, creating healthy, healthier versions of you know, well-loved treats, we're aiming yeah. to support um, our Indigenous family and community um, to improve their health as well. Yeah. Um, and so on the back of that, we won a Deadly Deals grant, which is for Indigenous businesses um, to, you know, build a, uh, a commercially sustainable business and they could see the value in, and potential in Heavenly Hazel yeah. and have supported that and also encouraged us to create versions of Heavenly Hazel that include Indigenous natives. So that's also oh. what we started including in our treats Yum. and in hazel. So we've got like a rosella and raspberry heavenly hazel and a finger lime and we've got plans for lots of others. Oh, that's so cool. So we can showcase the ingredients and because and, yeah. um, they're superfoods in their own right, as, yeah. in their own right, as well as being delicious and different. And also that way we can support Indigenous growers to build a sustainable um, agricultural industry. Yeah, so that's that's part of our mission as well. I love your brain, Shelley. <laughs> great ideas, really great ideas. So that's pretty much taking you up to now. And how else did COVID affect your family as well, other than how it affected your business? Uh, well, I guess that was at the centre of it because it, 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 we were fortunate in North Queensland that we weren't subject to really long extended difficult lockdowns like Melbourne yeah. and Sydney were so we weren't affected in that way and in fact we just like worked hard all the way through it but that I guess in itself was hard because when PJ had to come out of kindy because there were lockdowns like the only thing I could do was have him in our kitchen and yeah. so we spent like three months you know with me and a couple of people like sitting there trying to entertain himself as a four-year-old you know in our kitchen and trying to juggle like working 12 hours a day trying to keep everything going and look after him. Oh, don't touch and, this, don't touch the oven, put that down. <laughs> yeah, and well, and there's so much, you know, big commercial equipment and, like, I'd try to play with him and engage him in everything, but at the same time we had to get a lot done and I didn't want him to hurt himself. So, you yeah. know, we had to rely on um, those computers and the iPad a fair bit, which I'm not that keen yeah. on, but it was a necessary evil, I, feel, I guess, yeah. in those circumstances. Yeah, And, um, you know, it was hard because he wanted to be with me. I wanted to be with him. And that's like doing that for as long as we did was a big contributor to why we decided to, to let it go. And so what um, are you doing since that? So it's, it's the Heavenly Hazel at the moment and the growth of that particular line. Yeah, so we're working on that. Um, there's a, like a, an incubator in Cairns um, that works with small businesses like ours. They've got a factory set up so that you can actually produce Still not big in terms of big companies, but big for a small business. You can produce yeah. like a thousand kilos of heavenly hazel in a day instead of doing like ten kilo runs one after the other in our oh, kitchen. It's amazing, isn't it? Some of that commercial equipment. It's oh, it's incredible and something that we wouldn't have access to if we didn't have the support of an organisation like that and the Queensland government, which have yep. been amazing to us. And so we're working through the process of transitioning our production over because you can't, you can't. Because That's it's scary. totally different equipment. Like you can't just make it the same way and do things the same way. Like it's all different and everything has to be redesigned from the recipe to the method to the way you label things to everything. So we're just working through that process. You've got those at the machines moment. doing putting the labels on and all that, is it? That yeah, kind that's of, what we're yeah. working towards. Yeah. Whereas we were putting them on by ourselves, but it all yeah. has to be redesigned to fit with the machines. And oh. so that's a, that's a big process. Challenge. Uh, 
But the other thing I've taken on this year because we missed out on <laughs> so course, much time. Of course, you not enough on your plate, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm homeschooling PJ. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Which, is, <laughs> uh, which you know, is, which was a big undertaking. Um, it's something we're loving together. I mean, it's not easy for either of us, um, but we missed so much time in the last couple of years. I mean, we were with yeah. each other, you know, we were physically with each other a lot, um, yeah. but not, not yeah. having that quality time and Connection. I just yeah yeah doing, exactly. it's like that when little kids play side by side but they're doing their own thing it's how often yeah. I feel as a parent and I hate it you know I just want to connect with my child and be doing something together absolutely and I just realized I was like oh my gosh he was three last time I looked and now he's six and I don't oh want to miss God. any more time and so um yeah we made the decision as a family for us to homeschool together at least this year yeah. and we'll see how we go yeah um, going forward um, but yeah that's what we're doing which uh, uh, and we're it's surprisingly um, developed in the yeah. sense that there's such a strong homeschool community across Australia yeah. and also in Townsville like it's changed a lot it has so many people are making the choice for various reasons yeah. um, to to homeschool yeah. um, whether it be nerves about COVID or dealing with specific like learning difficulties or behavioural issues or concerns with the schooling system. Yeah. So many families have come to it, which is great because there's enough people now that there's a lot of organised activities. Like yeah, it's a community. To- it's a real community. But is there anything you would like to add? Uh, not really. I'm just fascinated to hear about everyone else's journeys when they, when they all come online. Like it's been, it's been so long and I'm sure... You know, I never expected that this was going to be my path. If someone had told me this was my path in 95, I would have fallen over. And I'm sure it's been the same for everyone else. And I'm just fascinated to hear, you know, the twists and turns that everyone's taken. Thanks so much, Shelley. I was really looking forward to and enjoyed this recording. See you in a couple of years, hopefully, at the reunion.